0: You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au Okay, let's pray and we'll get into the word. Father, thank you for the work that's done on that cross on our behalf. Thank you that we have the privilege of joining together to lift up the name of Jesus every week as brothers and sisters in Christ, as part of the family of God. Lord, we pray this morning that you'll open up your word to us, that you will write your word on our hearts and, Lord, that you will make us to fall more in love with Jesus Christ this morning. Lord, we pray this in his precious name. Amen. What do you think the most important date is on the Christian calendar? Christmas Day? No? Good Friday? Today? I don't need to preach, then you've got the answer. Yeah, preaching is a converted, yeah. But a case could be made for any one of the three to be most important. If there was no Christmas Day, there wouldn't be a Good Friday or an Easter Sunday, would there? So maybe Christmas Day is the most important because the other two are dependent on that. Maybe. But it's funny that uh, even though the Bible makes much of the event of the birth of Christ, Christmas Day, it makes nothing of the actual date of the day. Some scholars believe that Christmas or the birth of Christ may have been as early as September. Um some parts of the Christian church celebrate Christmas Day in January. 6th, 7th, 8th, even the 19th of January is Christmas Day in some branches of the Christian church. But if Christmas Day isn't the most important, which one is? Good Friday or Easter Sunday? Because Paul says that Good Friday might be the most important. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I deliver to you as a First importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Does that mean Christmas Day? Good Friday? It's the most important day, maybe. If his death is really the most important event in history, then it eclipses even such a significant event as his birth. So we could say that his birth was necessary, but it's only necessary because it set the stage for his death. I deliver to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins. From our perspective of course, Jesus' birth and death was required for we're eternally separated from God by our sin. There's nothing that we can do to overcome that separation, to tear down that barrier. To barrier, as you know, that goes back to the very first human being, Adam. He was the first one to commit sin and he has left us with this legacy of death and separation ever since. God, as Adam's creator and as our creator too, has every right to set the standard of behaviour and obedience for us and to set the punishment for disobedience also. For God had told Adam back in the garden of Eden, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. As we know from the story, Adam ate the forbidden fruit in blatant disobedience to God. When he was confronted, he immediately tried to pin the blame on Eve. We've been doing that ever since, haven't we? And he lied about his involvement in it. And so he received the promised penalty, death. Now we know that he didn't die physically on the spot, but he did die spiritually. His close relationship with God was immediately destroyed. And Adam's first response was to run and hide from God and try to cover himself up with a fig leaf. But while Adam didn't fall down dead on the spot there was still a death that occurred for sin demands death. The wages of sin is death Paul wrote many, many years later. And so an animal was sacrificed there in the garden by God as a substitute for Adam's death and to cover over Adam's sin. From that day on Humanity has been separated from God by sin. We are dead in our transgressions and our sins, our trespasses and our sins it says in Ephesians 2. The reality of sin explains our physical deterioration and eventual death as well as the spiritual death we all receive and inherit Dead men can't bring themselves back to life. you probably noticed that. Dead men don't bring themselves back to life. They need someone else to apply the paddles to the heart and deliver the electric shock if they're going to be brought back to life. Dead men can't do it on their own. You might object, of course, that the penalty of death outweighs the seriousness of sin, especially eternal death. It outweighs it by far too much. That cannot be just, surely. Why should something as trivial as lying, for example, warrant death? I heard a good illustration recently that I think helps to explain it. Imagine your friend has a packet of Tim Tams and he tells you not to eat them. Now we all know Tim Tams are too delicious to leave sitting on the shelf. You're hungry, he wants to eat them when he gets home, but you're hungry so you demolish the whole packet all 11 of them, is there eleven in the packet of Tim Tams yeah, an odd number but you're hungry so you demolish them, he gets home, there's no Tim Tams for himself and he has a go at you, what have you done you disobeyed me, oh it wasn't me I didn't eat them, you I didn't even see any there so your friend would probably be angry with you, he knows you're lying about it he'd probably be angry with you but he can't really do much can he? He doesn't have much authority over you in that regard. Imagine you're at school, primary school, and uh, you lie to the teacher about who it was that drew that rude picture on the blackboard. The teacher has greater authority over you than your friend does, so the teacher might give you detention, or if it's really serious, you may get expelled. But it's only a lie, it's no different really to the first one. Next you're in the workforce, you lie to your boss. You might get sacked, you might not just lose your job, that strike against you might prevent you from getting another job. As the level of authority increases, so does the seriousness of the penalty. Let's ramp it up a little bit more. This was an American illustration I heard, so this is appropriate. You lie to the President of the United States, assuming you're an American citizen. And the consequences could be at minimum a lengthy jail term, 20, 30, 40 years life maybe for lying to the President. Or if it was deemed to be treason, the penalty could be death. It's not that the President as a person is particularly important, but the office of President is supreme. You've lied to a greater authority, hence the penalty is much more severe. I assume, of course, that you can see that increased authority warrants an increased penalty. So how about if that authority is God himself? The one who created the universe. The one who created you and I. The one who has every right to make whatever demands he sees fit on his creation. His worth is infinite. His authority is eternal. What is a fitting punishment for a sin against God. You see, it's not so much about the seriousness of the sin committed, it's much more to do with the value and the authority of the one sinned against. It's not so much about the seriousness of the sin committed, it's much more to do with the value and the authority of the one sinned against. God has set the standard, as he has every right to do. He has determined that the penalty for sin, for any sin, is death. But that leaves us with a serious problem, doesn't it? For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, it tells us in Romans 3.23. It so, Every one of us faces the death penalty. And there is no higher court, there is no more supreme judge that we can appeal to, to review our sentence. I have sinned, you have sinned, and every person who has ever walked the face of the earth has sinned. Every person except one. Every person has sinned except Jesus Christ. He was and is perfect. He never did wrong. He always did right. He is the only one to ever meet the demands of God for perfect obedience. And he volunteered to take the punishment for my sin and for your sin on his perfect shoulders in the eternal counsels of god before time began the triune god saw that mankind would turn their back on him in sin and rebellion god saw that mankind would deserve death from the very first man all the way on down through history so father son and holy spirit prepared a solution to the problem of sin and separation, and that plan required that a perfect man take the punishment of death on behalf of the imperfect ones, us, who really deserve it. The plan demanded that the infinite wrath of God against sin and rebellion be satisfied by a punishment that is infinite in its extent. Don't ask me how the math works. How can infinite wrath ever be drained? Infinity divided by anything is still infinity. How can infinite punishment be exhausted in a fixed period of time? I can't explain it. No one can explain it. But what I do know is that for six hours, one Friday, 2,000 years ago, the infinite wrath of God was poured out on an infinite, holy and perfect person as a substitute for people who have sinned against, against an infinitely worthy God. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, Jesus Christ was delivered up for our trespassers. He was delivered up. He wasn't dragged away. He wasn't tricked. He wasn't trapped. He went willingly to the cross on our behalf as our substitute in accordance with the plan that was prepared in eternity past before creation even began. The Father against whom we have all sinned was the one who sent him to bear the punishment that we deserve. One author has said, it is absolutely impossible to understand Bible Christianity unless we realise that God the Father put Jesus Christ to death on the cross. The very God we have offended and sinned against is the same one who delivered up his son. We sang the song this morning, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make this wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away. How can we imagine what that must have felt like? As wounds which mar the Chosen One bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out amongst the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there, until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. It is finished. My dying breath has brought me life. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. After six hours on that brutal cross, the most cruel form of punishment ever devised, Jesus gave up his life. Let me stress again, it wasn't taken from him. It was never taken from him. It was given up given up willingly, knowing that everything was now accomplished, that the raging fury of God's infinite wrath had been poured out on him and drained. He cried out, It is finished. As precious as Good Friday is to Christians, as precious as the work he did on that cross is for us, I think Easter Sunday of course has to be the most important day in our calendar. And let me tell you why. Good Friday's not the end of the story. If all that happened is that Jesus died on that cross, we would have been forgiven of our sins, yes, but we would still be separated from God by physical death. And God means to save us. Spirit, and soul, and body. Our greatest need is not food or drink or shelter, it's not health or family or money. Our greatest need is to be reconciled to God. To have the barrier between us and God torn down once and for all. And for that to happen we need to be justified. That is, we need to be declared not guilty by the supreme judge in the highest court in the universe. For if we are not guilty, if we are justified, then our broken relationship with God can be restored. The death of Jesus Christ secures that declaration of not guilty. Secures it on behalf of all who would put their trust in him. But if he was not raised from the dead, how would we ever know that his sacrifice was acceptable to God? How would we ever know that it achieved what he'd set out to do? If we don't know if it was accepted to God, what would we have to give us hope? What could we look forward to? Reconciliation is not just about tearing down a wall that separates us. The wall can be torn down, but we could still stay on the outside, the other side of where that wall was. Reconciliation is about bringing the reconciled person, the former enemy, into the house, into the family. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the resurrection that we celebrate today, is the proof that the price was paid in full, that it is finished, there is nothing left for us to pay. And it's proof that we can be reconciled to God. It's why we Christians don't display a crucifix with a dead body of Jesus still hanging on the cross. That one over there is empty. It's empty for a reason. We look to the empty cross from which his body has been removed. We look to the tomb with the stone rolled away. But Jesus Christ was raised up for our justification. Not only is it good news that Christ was raised from the dead, it is of course the best news. The best news it means we have the promise not just the hint, not just the thought, but the promise of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. There is no longer any need to hide from God like Adam and Eve did. There's no more need to sacrifice an animal to cover over our nakedness and our shame. So what do you and I have to do to be reconciled to God? Jesus told us one way in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5.48, You, therefore, must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. As long as you meet that standard, you have nothing to worry about. Be perfect. Be perfect for all the rest of your life from this point forward. And be perfect for all of your life before up to this point. It's pretty simple, really. It's the only thing you need to do. Be perfect. But I suspect that you will find that too difficult. I certainly do. Well, Not only difficult, impossible. So if you think it's impossible, there is an alternative. Turn to Jesus Christ. Admit you haven't measured up to the standard required. Acknowledge your sin and turn from it. Put your faith in him, his life, his death, his resurrection. Because it tells us in Hebrews, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his seat. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There's only one way to know the perfection that God requires of us. That's to put our trust in the perfect substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will then make you perfect in the sight of God. You will be declared not guilty because the perfect substitute stands on your behalf before the Father. Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ as the substitute for your sin? Do you believe that Jesus died for you in order to give you eternal life and that he rose from the dead victorious over sin? Sure you all do, but if not I encourage you to turn to Jesus as your Saviour right now. You can express your desire in a prayer like this and if you're already a Christian you can reaffirm your faith in him with this prayer. you Close your eyes for just a moment. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I trust in you as my Saviour now. Forgive me of my sins and make me into the kind of person you would have me to be. Thank you Lord for your gift of eternal life. Amen. If you truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have eternal life now. Because he is risen, you can rest in that truth. The Apostle John wrote, "This is the te- the testimony: is this that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. When you have the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the One who is risen, you have eternal life. Father, thank you." Thank you that you have done the work. Marilyn Ginger, can you hop up? We're going to sing at uh, How Deep the Father's Love again. Thank you, Lord, that you saw the problem and devised a solution. And Lord, we acknowledge the brutality of what The Lord Jesus had to suffer because of our sin. We thank you Lord that he went willingly to that cross to take our punishment on our behalf. The perfect one took your infinite punishment on our behalf. And Lord this morning... We offer our hearts and our lives to you afresh. And Lord, we we choose to put our lot in with you, Jesus, as believers in the Son of God who is risen today. We commemorate he is risen today, never to be put to death again, never to be defeated again. He is victorious over death and sin and he did it on our behalf. Lord, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We honour you, Lord. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.